The word of the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were not widespread. Would you all please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Words are very, 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 very important. What we say often shapes what we believe, and perhaps more importantly, what we say often shapes how we behave. You take the the common thing we just said a moment ago, something we say every single Sunday after the scripture has been read. We say the word of God for the people of God. Friends, when the the pastor puts his hand out like this, that means you got to say something. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks thanks be to God. God. We say those words week after week. And if you're anything like me, you say them and you don't really think about what you're saying. Those words, they're really, really important, and they say a lot about what we think theologically. Now the Lord came and stood there, calling as before, Samuel, Samuel, and Samuel said, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever should believe in him may not perish but have eternal life. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. The Lord restoreth my soul. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. But what about those texts from the Bible that are difficult? What are we supposed to do or say or believe about the scriptures that make us uncomfortable? Should we be thankful for something that makes us squirm? This is from Judges 4. But Jael took a tent peg in one hand and took a hammer in the other, and she went softly to him in the middle of the night. And while he was sleeping, she drove the tent peg through his skull until it went down into the ground and he died. The word of God for the people of God? This is from Deuteronomy 23. Now those whose testicles are crushed or whose penis is cut off shall not be admitted into the assembly of the Lord. The word of God for the people of God? Let a woman learn in silence and with full submission. The word of God for the people of God. (laughs) I mean, what are we communicating to people? What are we saying to young people or those who are new in their faith when we say we are thankful for God's word when the truth is maybe we're not? Additionally, words mean different things to different people based on a variety of different things. What you can say to one person and how it, was, how it is received by that one person is not the same as what you could say or how it's received by somebody else. I have a long habit of adapting words to particular contexts or individuals. For instance, every summer we have vacation Bible school. We open up our church to dozens of young children from the community. And I'm not going to break out the Bible stories about tent pegs being driven through temples or rules about genitalia or verses about women's subordination. 
Those kids who come to Vacation Bible School, like the scripture story for today says that Samuel and they do not yet know the Lord. Similarly, if I'm teaching a Sunday school class to seasoned and veteran Christians, I'm not going to just talk about how nice God is and how God loves everybody just the way they are. It's true, but that kind of simple affirmation alone, it doesn't challenge us to be any better than we were when we woke up this morning. The church, God's church, is supposed to be a supple and open avenue to God's ways in the world such that we can rejoice and delight when God moves outside of our expectations, when God reaches people where they are instead of assuming on our behalf that they'll figure it out on their own. That's one of the reasons we keep coming back to church week after week, to do this strange and wonderful thing we call worship. For Samuel, it took God's calling in the night three times and the wisdom of a mentor to help him know that God was encountering him. For some of us, It takes a lifetime of Sundays before we actually hear it. We at Cokesbury have communion here at this table. Whenever we do, like many Christians, we are invited to the table. We confess our sins before God and one another. We share signs of Christ's peace with those who have gathered here. And then we come to the table and we feast. And while you all are lining up in the center aisle and you're coming down to receive the body and the blood of Jesus, I will adapt the words I use as I offer the body of Christ to people. Because for some of you, well-seasoned in your faith, I can say the words that have been said for centuries. This is the body of Christ given for you, and that's fine. But for some people, if you say this is the body of Christ for you, that creates more questions than it answers them. And so for some people, I will not say this is the body of Christ offered for you. Instead, I'll say something like, this is a gift from God. Or I might say, this is Jesus. Or I might just say, God loves you. A few months ago, we had a fairly typical Sunday service here at the church. The sermon was probably about a B minus. Choir sounded pretty good. The hymns all fit with the message of worship. And like we've done many, many times since I've been here, we moved from the sermon to communion. And I stood behind the altar, and I I prayed, and I invited everyone to come forward. We confessed, we shared signs of Christ's peace. I broke the bread, and I stood right here, and I started giving pieces of the body to those who came. And there was a young girl with us in worship that Sunday with her mother, a girl and a mother I've never seen before, and I haven't seen since. And when the young girl came up to me, I knelt down on the ground, I took a piece of bread, and I looked at her in her eyes, and I said, God loves you. She took the bread, she dipped it in a cup, she partook, and then she returned to her pew. After we finished the final hymn, I went out into the narthex, I was shaking hands with people, and the mother came up to me, and she said, I just have to say thank you. And I was preparing myself to hear a great compliment about my sermon. But she said, I just have to thank you. That's the first time my daughter's ever had communion in her life. Thank you. And as they walked out of our building, I couldn't help think to myself, what if that's the first time she's ever heard that God loves her? Ever. In her life. And because my imaginative juices were already going, I spent uh, the rest of the day thinking about that young girl. And thinking about her future. And I imagined in my head that she grew up and she went to high school here in Woodbridge. And she just always felt like something was missing. 
the friendships were a little shallow, the, the sport activities just didn't fulfill her, she got in fights with her mother, and she was just so excited to get out of here, to go to college and leave this place behind. And so she works hard in school, she gets into a good college, and she graduates, and she leaves. And she goes to college, and she is so hopeful that this is going to be the new beginning she has hoped for, that everything is going to be better. But of course it's not. The friendships she tries to create in her dorm are just very, very superficial and trite. She feels like she's not actually learning anything in her classes. She doesn't really miss home, but she doesn't feel like she belongs. And she just keeps wondering to herself, can life really just be this? Is this it? And then one afternoon, one of her dorm mates comes and knocks on her door and says, I'd really like you to come to worship with me. She thinks, you've got to be kidding me. I am not going to that worship place. You mean with the band and the lights and the smoke machine and all? No, I'm not going to that. And her mate says, no, you've got to come with me. You've got to come with me. So the girl reluctantly goes. She sits down in the gymnasium where the worship service happens, and she sees the light show. She listens to the band play. The sermon's pretty bad. It's all about how you have to share the gospel everywhere you go. But then at the very end, at the very end, the pastor stands at a makeshift table and he picks up a loaf of bread and a cup of wine. And he says, now it's time for communion, for the meal that comes to you without cost. This is Jesus offering for you, on your behalf, because you've done nothing to deserve it. And she finds herself standing and walking down the center aisle and her hands going outstretched and she remembers a day at Pillsbury Church when she was a young girl when her mom dragged her to church. And the pastor takes a piece of bread off of the loaf, and he whispers in her ear, just loud enough for her to hear, God loves you. And I'd like to imagine that her life turned around because of this moment, that everything changed from that day, but of course it doesn't. She finishes school, she majors in something she doesn't care about, she gets a job, she meets a young man, they get engaged, they get married, they have a couple kids, they have a mortgage, they have a couple cars, they've got a dog. And day after day, she wakes up feeling like life can't just be this. Everything on paper looks perfect. Her husband loves her, her children get good grades. But something is amiss. It's that same feeling she had when she was in high school, that same feeling she had when she was in college. And she just keeps going through the motions until one day her neighbor reaches over the fence and says, hey, you should come to First United Methodist Church with me. And she laughs because she remembers another church. It was probably a Methodist church that her mother dragged her to when she was a young girl. And so she brushes it off and she says, well, no, church isn't really our thing. And the neighbor says, no, you really need to come with me to church. I really want you to come. And so against her better judgment, she wakes up on Sunday morning, she gets the kids together, pushes the husband out of the bed, and they get in their SUV, and they drive to First United Methodist Church. She stands when everyone stands, she sings when everyone sings, she even prays when everyone prays. The sermon isn't very good. It's okay. It's not very good. And she's thinking while she's standing there, we should just leave. We never should have come here. This isn't for us. And then the pastor stands at the table. He picks up a loaf of bread and a cup of wine. And he said, friends, if you don't know this, the Lord's word is rare today. 
We don't always hear what God has to say to us. But here at this table, we cannot avoid the God who is looking for us. Because here, we hear the truth. We know who we are and whose we are. Because here, we cannot deny the fact that though we are broken and fallible, we are loved beyond measure by a God who gave himself for us. And she finds herself walking down the center aisle. Thinking about that day as a child, thinking about that night as a college student, and with tears welling up in her eyes, she puts her hands outstretched, ready to receive something she doesn't quite understand. And the pastor takes a piece of bread and he places it in her fingers and he whispers in her ear, just loud enough for her to hear, God loves you. And for the first time, she believes it. God calls. Again and again and again and again. And the thing about God's calling is that God refuses to stop. God calls in the middle of the night three times. Samuel! Samuel! And he doesn't know who's calling. He goes to Eli foolishly three times before Eli wakes up to the truth. That God is calling the young boy. God calls again and again. Some of us have ears to hear, hear and eyes to see, and sometimes we miss it. Sometimes it takes a lifetime of hearing it again and again before we know it to be true. Because one of the hardest things in the world to accept is the fact that God loves us. All of us, in our hearts of hearts, we know more than anyone else what we have done and what we have left undone. We see mirrored our broken reflection, and we believe, for some reason, that we are unworthy of the love we hear about in church all the time. Sometimes. In fact, most of the time, it takes more than a simple affirmation from a pulpit. It takes more than hearing it whispered during communion. It takes more than a bumper sticker or a billboard for the message to sink into the deep fiber of our being. We need to hear those words again and again, over and over, because they are true. When the word of the Lord was rare during Eli and Samuel's life, no one was expecting this to happen. No one was expecting that God would call on a young boy who was asleep in a temple. A young boy who would eventually find David and anoint him king. That call from the Lord completely disrupted his life, not with peace, but with a call to disturb the peace. So why a kid? Why a kid? God does not call the equipped. God equips the called. God loves to bypass the expectations of people like you and I, going past those with seasoned possibility, and instead for those who are immature and naive. Because God loves to do whatever God wants. But this story... This calling of Samuel, it's about more than God just doing what God wants. God loves upsetting our expectations. God loves loving us, even when we don't. So if you hear anything from me today, let it be this. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. Amen.